Well, good morning again, everyone. It's good to be with you. It's been a good week for many in our church. Uh, Mark, just a clarification, Oroville did have its graduation on Friday evening. So we had two of our students that graduated from each ceremony, and so it was, it was good to be there and see the family celebrating and enjoying the, the public gathering and celebration of graduates. And we look forward to encouraging them and praying for them and celebrating with them this afternoon at the baccalaureate service. So if you're able to come back and be here at 6 o'clock, it'll be good to see you all here. Just a reminder, family camp is coming up two weeks from this weekend. There's still room for you, still room to sign up and come. I don't know what the numbers are now, Brian, but what are we at right now? 53? All right. So I'd like to see that number go up a little bit. It's a great camp campground. It's a great time for fellowship. So give it some consideration. Um, for the 11 o'clock hour, I believe that my class is continuing survey through the New Testament. Is, is Don's class going, Rob? What, what do you think is going today? So they'll be meeting down front here. I'll have my class in the music room. We've been going through the New Testament, and today we arrive in the book of Revelation, if that would be of interest to any of you. Well, in an article that appeared many years ago in the devotional Today in the Word, the story is told of early African converts to Christianity who showed great earnestness and devotion in their prayer time with the Lord. Each believer reportedly had a separate spot in the thicket where he would go regularly to pour out his heart to the Lord. And over time, the paths to these places would become well-worn, and it would be known who would go to what place to pray. And as a result, if one of these believers began to neglect his prayer time, his devotion time with the Lord, it would soon become apparent by looking at the condition of the path. And as a result, one of the other brothers would kindly remind him, brother, the grass grows on your path. It was a subtle way of saying, you're wandering away from the Lord. Come back, brother. Get into fellowship with him and with us. Well, as we continue in our study in the Sermon on the Mount today, Jesus is going to begin a section where he's going to talk about the importance of prayer and the Christian life. And in fact, it's so important that we're going to spend a couple of weeks on this subject. We want to hear from the Lord Jesus about what is the nature of prayer. We want to follow his example as we continue through the Gospel of Matthew, where he will, by model and by teaching, show us what it is to be one who actively prays to the Father. But it also perhaps is a good time for us to evaluate our own situation with the Lord. If we were to have a known path of prayer and devotion, would it be a path that shows that we're regularly upon it? praying and spending time with the Lord? Or would we need that gentle reminder that some grass has begun to grow on our path? In Matthew 6, which we began last week, Jesus has already spent some time talking about the proper practice of righteousness. As he talks about the righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees for those who are in the kingdom of heaven, he begins to deal with three important practices. Last week, we looked at the important subject of giving. As we continue through chapter 6, he's going to talk about prayer. He's going to talk about fasting. And Jesus reminds us that giving that is honoring to the Lord is done secretly, generously, without drawing attention to oneself. 
we're reminded to not toot our own horn in what we are doing. In fact, he even goes so far as to say, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Reminding us that it is the Father ultimately who sees all that we are doing. And pleasing the Father should be our ultimate and primary motivation. Because we're reminded that to feel the peace of God upon our lives is to sense his smile, his approval, his blessing, his benediction. Well, just as we saw last week that the practice of giving can be misused to try to improve one's reputation before men, the same thing can happen in the practice of prayer. And we saw last week that when we give, the goal is to please the Lord, so the goal should be the same when we are involved in prayer. Prayer is not to be done simply to impress those who might be watching. It's to gain the heart of the Father. Those of us that have been Christians for any length of time know that we often spend a lot more time talking about prayer than we actually spend praying. We talk about its importance. We say we believe in it. We say, oh, brother, I'll pray for you, and then we go off and forget to pray. We say, hey, let's, let's get together and pray, and never manage to find that time. We end up wasting time on other things, and social media does not help. With the temptation to follow the next clickbait, and then the next clickbait, and then the next clickbait. Maybe it'd be good for us just to set them aside for an hour or two a day and allow our minds to focus on the things of God. As I said, we're going to take a couple of weeks to look at what Jesus talks about in prayer here in Matthew chapter 6. And next week, we're going to start studying what is known as the Lord's Prayer, which is probably more accurately entitled the Disciples' Prayer. And even if that prayer is familiar to us, and in fact, we're going to take the time to actually pray it together, I think there's always more that we can learn from God's living and active and holy and eternal word. Now today, we're going to take some time to look at the wrong way of praying, which might seem like a strange way of starting out and talking about prayer. But like anything else in life, sometimes we have to deprogram ourselves from one way of thinking so that we can reprogram ourselves to a proper way of thinking. And we see that Jesus actually does that. He takes some time to deprogram some of the thoughts they had about prayer. And so to help facilitate that, I'm actually going to add in some additional teaching from other places in Scripture, which is why you look at your outline and you say, it is so long. It's because we're going to do a little additional teaching to try to answer some important questions. Well, counting on the Lord to be our guide and as our teacher, I invite you to stand for the reading of our Scripture passage this morning, where we will start reading in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and go down to the first part of verse 9. And the authoritative and inspired word of God says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in heaven. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. And we're going to pause in our reading of the passage this week at that point to get us ready for next week. Father, as you have shown us your word this morning, and as we recognize that it has come from you, oh, we need you, Lord. 
Father, if we're honest before you, which we need to be, our hearts are messed up. And we just need the cleansing power of your spirit. And we thank you that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to forgive us from all sins. But we continue to struggle with our own selves, with what is the idea of prayer. So, Father, be our teacher this morning and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you follow along in your sermon outline this morning, you will see that we had the wrong prayer, example one. And you will remember that last week when Jesus taught on giving, he said, when you give, which is a reminder then that this is something that's ongoing in the Christian life. He didn't say, if you give. Well, when he gets to prayer, he says, and when you pray, that there's an expectation that prayer, this fellowship, this communication with God would be an active and regular part of our lives. And in fact, the practice of true righteousness, now that we have the new heart that comes from the new birth that is given to us when we're born from above, which is the literal meaning of the phrase born again, we're born from above and with this new heart, now we have a hunger for God that we didn't have before. We have a desire for God that we didn't before. And now we have a heart that wants to obey him like we didn't before. But I think we all agree that with all the disciplines of the Christian life, we just need to learn how to pray. What is prayer, if we were to ask? What is, how do we pray? What do we include in our prayers? How often should we pray? Is there a specific time? We're not going to address all those questions. But we at least acknowledge that prayer is an expected activity of Christians. Simply stated, prayer is talking with the Lord. It's just sharing with him what's going on in our lives. And it's telling us how much we need him and how we adore him. And we give thanks to him for how great he is and for what he has done. And so our prayers would include adoration, worship, praise, thanksgiving, confession of sin, acknowledgement of our forgiveness, presenting needs that we have in intercession and prayer. Do you get the idea that it's this comprehensive interpersonal relationship that we have with the living God because that's what prayer is to be in the time of Jesus there was a daily rhythm for Jews to pray that went back many centuries where they would typically pray publicly three times a day at the hours of 9 a.m. and 12 p.m. and 3 p.m. we have examples in this psalm in the book of Daniel we even have it in the book of Acts where we're told that Peter and John went to pray and it was 3 p.m. in the afternoon but it says, which was the ninth hour. And so the Jewish way of reckoning, the day began at 6 a.m. And at the ninth hour, they would go to the temple and pray publicly. So Jesus is not condemning public praying and public prayer per se. But he is condemning something. What is it? And we might summarize it this way. Don't be an actor in public. And when you pray, he said, you must not be like the hypocrites. Well, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. At that time in the first century, at the fixed times of prayer, such as at 3 p.m., the trumpets would sound in the temple, announcing that it was the time of prayer. And when the trumpet sounded, people were required to stop where they were and begin to pray. So can you imagine the scene? You're down at the farmer's market, and 3 p.m., the trumpets sound, and everybody stops, and many men would start raising their hands, and everybody starts praying, because that was the prescribed time to pray. And you can imagine then how that could quickly become abused. Because those nearby would have a chance to look at our devotion, 
Look at her obvious enthusiasm for the things of God. And the posture of prayer for a Jewish man often was to stand, but it was not merely to stand. In fact, if we were to do a study of the scriptures, we would find that the people of God have had all kind of postures in prayer throughout the history of the Bible. Some kneel down, some stand, some kneel with their hands raised up, some lie flat out on the ground. Many different postures of prayer were adopted all throughout the scriptures. They prayed in all kind of different life situations. They prayed when they were hungry, when they were afraid, when they were in danger. They prayed when they were at time of peace, when they were experiencing victory. They prayed for various things like provision and protection and deliverance and salvation and forgiveness. Prayer was just to be seen as a regular feature of life for God's people, both in the Old Testament and it carries over. It should be the rhythm and expected behavior of the people of God in the New Testament. Jesus, though, wants to clarify the types of prayers that will reach the ears of the Father. But we start out by admitting that prayer has always been an important part of the public gathering of believers. So Jesus says, even as you gather, don't be so concerned about whether others see you pray or not. Because in all that we do in the Christian life, ultimately we serve an audience of one. Who indeed does see all that we do. Who knows our hearts better than we know them. He knows the thoughts that of our minds and the words on our lips before we form them. And ultimately all of life is to be lived before him. The Latin phrase quorum Deo. All of life lived before the face of God. And if we have that as our ongoing consciousness, as our ongoing thought, then prayer becomes a rhythm and practice and regular part of life. So what Jesus castigates here is the tendency, and I think we can understand how it would happen, of some to arrange to be just in the right spot at just the right time so that they would be seen praying in the synagogues and at the street corners. Now, it might even happen accidentally at first. A man stops, puts up his arms, and he starts to pray, and then somebody nearby says, hey, that was a pretty good prayer, buddy. And then sensing the approval, he repeats the pattern and works on his delivery and more praise comes. And then as it becomes a habit, it becomes more of a performance. Perhaps they'd be challenged and they'd say, well, you know, I just happened to be there and so that was the right thing to pray. And of course that could happen. But Jesus is going deeper than that. He's revealing the heart. Why are you doing that? Why are you arranging your calendar so that you'll be in prime position A? At the time of prayer, are you really trying to please me? Or are you trying to please men? As we said last week, the word hypocrite was used in the theater in the Greco-Roman world. It, it literally meant an actor who wore a mask to perform in a play, to take on a role, to pretend to be something other than what he was. Now, I think we'd all agree it's appropriate that the actor in the theater setting should pretend to be someone else and will be recognized in entertaining the crowd. That's appropriate for that setting. But not so in the worship of God. He, he doesn't want those who pray to draw attention to themselves so that the hypocritical prayer receives his reward from men. 
And so at each point, we've seen it over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of my heart and yours. Why do we do what we do? So it would be pleasing to the Lord. And later on, as we get to chapter 23, Jesus will, will give this statement, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Prayer is not to be seen as a theatrical performance. Prayer is communication with the living God. You know, when we get into a problem, we want to solve our own problems. We want to use our own intelligence. We want to use our own resources. We want to use our own education. We want to use our own strength. We want to go to our friends. We want to share it with this person. We want to go to YouTube and watch the video. We want to do all these things that can be good. But God himself is the only one who literally can do something about every situation going on. And so each time we pray, it's an opportunity to worship the Lord. It's an opportunity to praise Him. It's an opportunity to enter into fellowship with Him, to invite Him into what we're doing. And so Jesus says, don't be an actor in public, but pray actively in private. But when you pray, He says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And so just as He taught us the proper way of giving, He's now teaching us the proper way of praying and he says, go into the room and shut the door. Now, in, in homes in that time were not big. But at times there would be a small room that would be used for storage. It's, it's the Greek word temeon. It can be used as storehouse. The idea is go into that place that's outside of the main traffic of the home and go in and pray. I don't think Jesus is saying you must have a special prayer room that you need to go to. He's getting to the attitude here of, look, spend some time alone with the Father. To the extent that you can. Get out of the traffic of life. And go into the side road and spend time with the Lord. And pray to him who is all seeing. Because he sees what's going on. And so our prayer then as we pray is directed to the Father. Now think about this. If we're praying to the Father. In the name of the Son. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We're praying to the triune God. The one who was and is and always will be. God Almighty. What need do we have to pray to anybody else or anything else? We don't. We have the all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-holy one, and it's enough to pray to him. And so that's the one we pray to. Now, Jesus will also clarify something here because he would say that secret prayer does not necessarily mean silent prayer. It was still common for the Jewish man to pray out loud. And that might be uncomfortable for some of us because maybe we've just, we've allowed tradition and custom and other things to kind of program us to where, yeah, well, we just pray in our minds. But you know what happens often when you pray in your mind? Disease start floating around the room, don't they? I pray out loud, not all the time, and certainly not in a booming voice. When my office at home and my office here at the church, as I'm driving around in the car, I'm talking to the Lord because I find that speaking out loud focuses my mind. And then as I hear what I'm praying, I'm analyzing, is that really the type of prayer I should be offering? Because after all, my prayers are to be God-focused, God-honoring, God-centered. Then I find that my prayers, if I'm not disciplining myself, can often become all about moi. My praying shouldn't be about moi. We'll see that next week about what our prayer should be about. Anyway, consider it. Consider ways where you can get alone with God in a way that allows your mind and heart to be focused 
you might consider maybe just whispering as you pray. Silent hush, a quiet voice to help focus you as you want to pray. But pray actively. Because it's that type of prayer as we pray actively that receives the just reward. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, it's going to happen in life that you are in a place where you're praying and maybe somebody sees you or maybe somebody hears you. But it's not just because you want to be seen or heard that you're praying. You're just praying because you just love the Lord. Parents, we can teach our children how to pray by letting them overhear our times of prayer. Let them hear how we pray to the Lord. Of course, we teach them. We pray with them. Do your, parent, do your kids ever hear you pray? Do your grandparents ever hear you, your grandkids ever hear you pray? Now, he does say the prayer that is in secret, but the idea is not so much that we, we aren't seen ever by anyone. It's we're really just praying to have communion with the Father. Charles Spurgeon reminds us the goal of prayer. He said, the goal of prayer is the ear of God. And unless that is gained, the prayer has utterly failed. The uttering of the prayer, he said, may kindle devotional feelings in our minds. It may give comfort to those who hear it. It may strengthen the hearts with, whom, with those with whom we have prayed. But if the prayer has not reached the heart of God, it has failed in its essential purpose. Because ultimately we pray to God. So Jesus is getting at the heart of the issue here because he's not condemning all public prayers himself because if he did, he'd have to condemn himself. Because many times in the Gospel of Matthew, he prays out loud and on the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, we have his prayers that are recorded. Almost the entire chapter of John 17 is a public prayer in the upper room where Jesus is instructing the disciples and how he is praying for them and how we are to pray. And by the grace of God, we have it recorded for us so that we know how Jesus prayed. And that should be teaching us how to pray. It's not condemning public prayer per se. The prophets prayed out loud in ancient Israel. The apostle Paul puts prayers in his letters. One of them is Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. He tells the believers how he is praying for them that will encourage them. And in almost all of his epistles, he has prayers. So it's not wrong to be seen praying. It's wrong to pray in order to be seen. And you understand the difference. Prayer is just to be pleasing to the Lord. Prayer that is offered sincerely. Prayer that is not hypocritical. It's God-focused, not man-focused. And when we pray this way, we, we find ourselves keeping our eyes on the Lord, and we're not worried about whether we keep eyes on those around us. So we can pray and pray and pray. Let me use this uh, simple illustration of marriage. As a couple grows in marriage, they often want to talk more with each other. They talk about everything. And share those intimate moments and those quiet moments and those public moments and those difficult moments and those fun moments and sad moments. And they grow and they want to talk more and more. And the more the spouse gets to know the other spouse, they want to know more. Friends, marriage is always to be seen as an image of our relationship with God. So the longer we walk with the Lord, we want to know more about Him. And we want to share more with Him. And we want to commune more with Him and com communicate and talk and share and love and praise and pray because that's what happens in a growing interpersonal relationship so jesus says when you pray pray to 
your Father. Think about that phrase, your Father. Do you know that it is only Christians who can rightly call God our Father? Because through Jesus Christ, we have a unique, personal, intimate, eternal relationship with the Father. That's why Jesus will instruct us as we look at his famous prayer next week, our Father. But who is this Father? Start thinking of the attributes and the characteristics and, and what you know about this Father. He's the creator. He's the judge. He's the holy one. He's the kind one. He's the merciful one. That's who you pray to. I think that's pretty exciting. That that's the one that we can communicate with and enjoy on a daily basis. And shame on us if we try to reduce God somehow to our buddy or our homeboy. He's not our bellhop in heaven. He's the sovereign king who ultimately owns everything in our lives. So remember who God is when you pray. Secondly, remember who we are. We were created and redeemed in Christ, but we're always his servants. Oh, we have a special role. He has adopted us as his children. Before we were enemies, now we're his children. And that same loving and kind father who adopted us as children, come. Come and be with me. Spend time with me. And I think in our time is money world, we think that God is too busy to hear our prayers. Because we project onto God our characteristics and our thinking. But the problem is, we're often too busy to offer our prayers to God. Or we think that somehow God is too busy to hear our prayers. Wait a minute, the eternal one is too busy to hear our prayers? No. He wants to hear all of it. He delights to be with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. But he says, come when you come according to my conditions. You come and recognize that I'm the Holy One. I'm the Exalted One. You come that I might be glorified. You come that your need might be met, that your sins might be confessed and forgiven, that ultimately God doesn't owe us anything. But in his joy, he delights to give us so much. So here we have the first wrong example of prayer. Putting on a show. We have a second wrong example. Jesus is going to get to what he wants us to do in prayer, but he still has to deconstruct us a little bit about how wrong ideas about prayer. And so he says, don't be a babbler. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. The words empty phrases here in some translations is translated as vain repetition. So prayer isn't about certain rituals or phrases or forms. It's about heart-to-heart -heart communication with the one who saved us and who redeemed us. And so the warning here really is against babbling. Now, it might be the case that a child will feel like he can wear down his mother by just continually badgering her and asking and getting on her case and going after her, and eventually the mother acquiesced. We don't need to do that with God. We don't have to try to wear him down, wear him out, badger him, pester him. He invites us to come. 
The Gentiles here represent those who are outside the family of God. And those that would be Gentiles or pagans thought through their many words and repetitions that somehow they would gain the ear of God. We see an example of that in the life of Elijah. Elijah has gone to war, so to speak, on the mountain against the false prophets of Baal and Asherah. And he says, okay, guys, you first. And they put up the temple and they lay out the sacrifices and the text tells us that they're chanting and dancing and reciting and cutting themselves. It goes on for hours. And Elijah even starts to mock him. He says, hey, speak louder. Your God must be sleeping or maybe he's indisposed. What's not mentioned there, but was true in the pagan world, is that they had a plethora of gods. So they would just start crying out and using the names of the different gods and hoping that they would get the ear of one of them, one of them that would pay attention to them. And they thought, well, if I keep pronouncing their names, then one of those gods will pay attention to me. Jesus says, none of that. Just pray to the Father. In the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're to talk to the Father. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before him. you ask him. So in the kindness of God, who invites us in, we don't have to be like the pagans, like the Gentiles, and rant and chant and rave and demand that God pays attention to us. He's already ready to listen to our prayer. So we need to pray by faith, in faith, trusting that not only he hears us, but he desires to respond. And Jesus is not forbidding long prayers either, nor long periods of prayer, because we see in the Gospels, he at times prayed all night. He's not even necessarily saying don't repeat words in your prayers. He's saying let your heart be in it. He's not condemning persistent prayer. He commends the widow in Luke 18 who persisted after the judge to get justice. And he said, look, look at this widow. Pray like she does. Just keep asking. Keep pouring your heart out to the Lord. Pray like you mean it. And mean what you pray. So that requires active engagement. In, in biblical prayer, the mind is engaged. There are religious practices that say things like, just empty your mind and let the thoughts come in. That's demonic. We're never called to empty our minds. We're called to love God with our minds, to fill our minds with the truth of God, to meditate on the truths of Scripture. So our minds need to be engaged. Our heart needs to be committed. Our lips need to be active. Do you get the idea that this is a interpersonal relationship that God really cares about us and wants us to be involved all that we are. So don't rattle on and on. Don't try to use magical words. Just talk to the Father and tell Him what you want and need because He already knows before we ask. He's the sovereign one. He's the omniscient one, means He knows everything. He's the omnipresent one. He's in every place. He's the omnipotent one. He's all-powerful. We do not add anything to God's knowledge when we pray. He does not grow in wisdom when we talk to him. But he still wants us to pray. And in our minds, then, that pr pr proposes a conundrum. If he already knows, then why pray? That would be a logical question to ask. And we wouldn't be the first ones to ask it. But we should have a ready response. 
if we do not inform God of anything that he does already know, does not already know, then why do we pray? Well, we're not going to give an exhaustive answer here, but we will give a few ideas. We're commanded to pray. Just listen to some of the commands. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Ephesians 6, 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We could multiply the verses over and over again, but he who is the sovereign one, our Father, who saved us, redeemed us, adopted us, wrote our names in the Lamb's Book of Life, will preserve us, says, pray to me. That'd be enough to settle the case right there, but there's more. When we receive a new heart and a new birth, we desire fellowship with God. And prayer is one of those ways that we develop our relationship with God. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from all evil conscience. You see, the more we spend time with God, the better we know him. The better we know him, the more we love him. The more we love him, the more we want to tell him about what's going on and obey his holy word. Surely God delights to hear our prayers. That's a mystery to me, but because of his kind, fatherly heart, he enjoys hearing our prayers. And he's pleased to answer them. And as he hears our prayers, and as he answers our prayers, he receives glory and praise and more adoration and more thanksgiving from his people. And so, if we do not pray... We're denying God something that he is due, our trust and his glory. John 14, 13 says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Even within the Godhead itself, they desire to glorify and lift up one another. But fourthly, we need to pray. I hate to tell you this, but we can't do all things. We're pretty needy people. We're needy emotionally, physically, intellectually, spiritually, relationally. There are needs in our lives that we simply cannot fulfill in a biblical and satisfactory manner without God. And so Matthew 6, a passage we'll get at in, a, in, in due time. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. How do we get these other things? By spending time with God. James 4.2 says you have not because you ask not. We need to pray. When he was president of the United States during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was known as the man who was memorizing the New Testament. And he said this. I have often been driven to my knees with the overwhelming realization that I had nowhere else to go. You know how I pray for you? That you will become desperate for God. So that you will realize you have nowhere else to go. And as we are desperate for God, then we pray and our relationship with him is deepened and strengthened. Lastly, in this section, we pray because God ordains both the ends and the means. 
Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God already knows the beginning from the end. His divine, his divine decrees are unshakable and unbreakable. Yet in his goodness and his wisdom, he has not only ordained what will come to pass, but how it will come to pass. And one of the means that he has chosen to use is the prayers of his people. He hears our prayers. He listens. And they become part of the answer to him accomplishing his will here on the earth. Now, there's many other reasons that we could give, and we'll, we'll, we need to move forward to finish relatively on time today. But keep in mind that we have a living relationship with a living God who invites us to be with him. That should be enough. Your father wants you to come to him, and he will welcome you. Well, quickly then, what does prayer do? Well, I think that's maybe the wrong question to ask. But we'll ask it. But I think we need to keep in mind that prayer is a solemn service to God, as Ian Bounds says. Prayer is adoration. It's worship. It's an approach to God for some request. The presenting of some desire. The expression of some need. Who supplies all need. Who satisfies all desires. Prayer is the outstretched arms of the child for the father's help. Prayer is the child's cry calling out to the father's ear, the father's heart, the father's ability, which the father is able to hear, the father is able to feel, the father is able to redeem. I see prayer as a privilege, a responsibility, an opportunity, and a blessing. What a privilege to spend time with the eternal one, our father who art in heaven. And with that comes the responsibility to let him know what's going on in our lives and asking for help, but also to bring the needs of others to his holy throne. And it's an opportunity because we can fellowship with God one more time and ask him to be at work. And then it's a blessing because we get to know him, love him, serve him, and see him in action. So prayer does not change God. He's the unchanging one. He's immutable. He already knows how things will go. Romans 11, verse 34 says, Who has known the mind of God, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? No, it's the, the teachings of the scriptures, the will of God, the commands of God, the teachings of God that help us to pray. So we know how to pray, how to address him, because prayer changes us. As we pray, as we seek his will, as we seek his heart, he is working in us and molding us more to his character, to his holiness, more to his desires, where we find more and more that his will is our will. His desires become our desires. His purposes are what we want to live for. So prayer changes us, and in doing so, it builds our relationship with God. Prayer humbles us. Because prayer is an admission that we are dependent upon God. Prayer is a reminder that he is in control. But we can fall into the arms of him who, he who is in control because he is trustworthy. And we can build our relationship with him. We're going to move forward. But there's really, we talk about prayer. Does God answer prayer? And the answer is yes. And really there is no such thing as unanswered prayer. Sometimes he says no, and we need to receive from God the no's. 
Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is wait. Sometimes the answer is not this, but something else. Sometimes the answer is yes and even more. And I'm just tempted enough to think that sometimes the answer is, you've got to be kidding. But I think that's partly how God interprets our prayers, interprets our minds, conforms our heart, mind, and will more to his heart, mind, and will so that we learn to pray as he would have us pray. Very quickly then, a preview of how to pray. So we we stopped with those first few words in verse 9. Pray then like this. And Jesus is getting us ready as we dive into the Lord's Prayer next week and probably spend a couple weeks there. He wants to show us a model and a guide. He's not necessarily saying we need to repeat this prayer over and over again, though there is nothing wrong with saying this prayer because after all, it is Holy Scripture. But it is a guide. And so after showing us how not to pray, he's going to give us very practical examples how to pray. And he's going to show that there are three things that we offer about God, which reveal three great needs about people. And it will all be focused on God as the protector, the provider, the holy one, the sovereign one, the good father of his children. So friends, I I hope this week as you stir over these verses anew that We'll recognize that prayer is a key part of Christian faith and practice. And if the goal of prayer is to reach the ear of God, to reach the heart of God, that type of prayer needs to be sincere from the heart, motivated by His glory in meeting the needs of His people. But if you pursue the relationship with God, draw near to God, He promises to draw near to us in this delightful relationship that He calls us into. So as we think about some ways we need to avoid praying and as we look forward to Jesus teaching us how to pray next week, what are some lessons we can learn from our passage today? Because God knows all things, prayer is more about knowing God than getting things from God. If you have Christ and nothing else, you still have everything because he is our all in all. Because we are commanded to pray, we trust God to teach us how to pray according to his will and his command. Let the Lord teach you how to pray to him. Because God invites us to come to him in prayer, we will confess our sins of timidity and laziness and go to him in prayer. Sometimes we're afraid to go to him and we make excuses or sometimes we just want to do it our own way. Why? When we can tap into him who is all-powerful. And lastly, because of temptations to pray in the wrong way and with wrong motives, we will trust the Lord to renew our heart and mind in order to pray in a God-honoring way. The Lord is good. This has been a rich week of studying God's word and I look forward to what he has for us as we move through this wonderful prayer and may he teach and guide us let us pray father thank you thank you for sending Jesus who is not only the ultimate manifestation of who you are but who modeled for us how to reach your heart who taught us how to pray 
And Father, we know that there is work to be done in our own lives and our own hearts in this important area. And so, Father, this week, would you work on us as you reveal yourself through your word? Would you teach us? But thank you, Father, that we are in Christ. And so we can come to you and you receive us. Remind us, Father, again and again of your love for us as our Father and draw us into your presence and lead us and teach us as we pray and worship you. And may we grow in our relationship with you because we're growing in our understanding of faith. And to that end, we pray for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.